0: this week's episode of the show before the show podcast from milb.com i am tyler long alongside sam dykstra hi sam hello tyler things all right things are okay things are okay that's good um we are uh Going to be joined in a little while by Matthew Liebertour, the third-ranked prospect in the St. Louis Cardinals organization. Really good conversation with Matthew. We will hear from Benjamin Hill uh, as well in a little bit. Ben's got a a couple of great stories up on and coming to the site. Um, And here in a moment, we are going to discuss Major League Trade Deadline, which is coming up uh, just five days away. We're recording this on Wednesday afternoon, the 26th of August. And Feels like it is important to timestamp uh, the day and the time in which we are doing this because uh, not even an hour ago, we were starting to record with Ben uh, when news broke that the Milwaukee Bucks were uh, going to sit out their game today, uh, game five of their Eastern Conference first round playoff series in the NBA against the Orlando Magic. Um, things have changed a lot. And that really happened, like I said, not, uh, not an hour ago. Um, Since then, we have learned the Houston Rockets and the Oklahoma City Thunder also planning on sitting out tonight. Uh, The Los Angeles Lakers and the Portland Trailblazers will also sit out. Um, There is now a report from CNN that all games for today have been postponed. Um, This is... A term that I have just learned uh, from some people on social media, this is apparently what is called in the labor world a wildcat strike, which is a strike uh, undertaken by unionized workers without prior authorization uh, or approval from the union. This is something that comes about when circumstances call for it. And the reason that we are talking about this is recording this on uh, on Wednesday afternoon, as 2020 has shown us, a lot more is going to come. And a lot more is going to change between now and when you hear this show. So um, it feels like a, a very big day in sports. I think uh, Howard Bryant, the brilliant journalist and, uh, and media member um, and kind of, you know, philosopher and uh, a guy who is almost a poet laureate in society in a lot of ways, uh, Howard Bryant put it perfectly uh, 53 minutes ago was his tweet when he said, quote, we're not just here for your entertainment, sincerely, the Milwaukee Bucks. There's a lot going on, and there's a lot going on in sports today, and we're going to talk about baseball. We're going to talk about the trade deadline. Uh, We'll talk with Matthew Libertor from uh, the alternate training site for the St. Louis Cardinals uh, coming up here in a little bit, but there is a lot going on in sports, and I think it is another appropriate time uh, if you are listening to this and you want to get involved, uh, as we have said on the show before. We encourage you to do that. Um, we we said uh, back a couple of months ago when we talked with Nick Heath and when we had conversation with Josiah Gray. Before that, um, when when things were really starting to shift uh, on the landscape. Uh, Black Lives Matter. Sam and I have been uh, trying to figure out how to have conversations uh, with members of the baseball community in which we could discuss um, the issues that are at hand while also being mindful of the fact that we are two middle-class white guys who grew up in a very different world than uh, a lot of what we're seeing. And uh, for Jacob Blake and for George Floyd and for all of these conversations that we are having, it's important today to point out that we are all living through history and to be recording a podcast and talking about minor league baseball on a Wednesday afternoon, by the time you hear this on Thursday morning or whatever it is, it's going to be a different world than right now when we are sitting talking about this. And I think that's just something for us to, to be in mind of.
1: Yeah. And, and hopefully, you know, Thursday morning is a better world in a way, because the reason we're talking about this now and the reason why the Milwaukee Bucks are boycotting is because Jacob Blake, who you mentioned, Tyler, um, you know, was shot seven times in the back um, by police in Wisconsin. And that is not something that should happen in the year 2020. It shouldn't happen in any age of humanity, um, but it's something that we have all seen. Um, maybe you haven't, maybe you're trying to avoid that. I totally understand that. Um, you know, th- those are difficult images for people to see of any age and in any year. Um, But it's something that's out there. It is something that has happened in this country. And change is necessary. And in order to get change, if if you've ever studied history, whether it's United States history, whether it's Black history, whether it's history of mankind, change happens because big events. Um, There's lots of little events that build to big events, but you know, systemic change happens with big things. What the Bucks did today is certainly one of the biggest things to happen in sports in this year. We're, we'll see what's going to come next. Josh Hader, you know, again, we're reacting to this kind of in real time. Josh Hader has talked about the Brewers even maybe discussing what they're going to be doing next. Um, you know, they, they are pillars of the Milwaukee community as well um, pillars of the Wisconsin community uh, representing that whole state. So, um, a lot of people are about to get really involved in this at, at the sports level. Um, we'll see what, what that form takes. But um, as, as Tyler said, you know, we encourage people to have these conversations within yourself, with your friends, with your family, with your communities about how we can make this a better place. So we don't have to keep watching images of black people being shot by you know, police officers, by anybody in the streets. Um, that, that's not the type of world we wanna live in. Um, that's not the type of world we're trying to build. Uh, so the, the work begins now, essentially, uh, it's been ongoing by a lot of people for a long time, um, but now it's about to be kicked into the next level. So, um, have those conversations with yourself. We'll, we'll be doing that ourselves in in the days and weeks to come. Um, but as of right now, that's a lot of the focus of the sports community and, and we'll get into the baseball stuff here very shortly. Because um, there's a lot coming down the pipeline for baseball, as we all know, in the middle of the season. But um, hard not to focus on that on this pre- specific issue uh, at the outset of the show.
0: And uh, with that, we will dive into this week's episode of the show before the show. And we thank you for tuning in and joining us. Uh, he's Sam. I'm Tyler. There is a, a lot of good stuff to come uh, on the show today as we uh, try to focus on uh, at least where the, the baseball season is right now, heading toward one of its... Um, kind of milestone days of the calendar Major league trade deadline coming up on the 31st uh, of August 30 days has September April. Yeah, 31st of August And uh, we're, we're at the halfway point essentially of this, this major league season We talked last week with uh, John Morosi of MLB Network and MLB.com And, uh, and everywhere else about um, some potential trade deadline movements and all that type of stuff now the, the scene shifts in, in, circumstances around team shift. I know uh, JP was just tweeting yesterday or uh, might've been even earlier today about how the Cincinnati Reds now are in a much different place than they were even this time last week with how much they've struggled as of late. Did they try to trade Trevor Bauer? What does that mean uh, in terms of a, a haul possibly prospects that they could bring back in return? But Sam, with where we are right now, how is the deadline shaping up to you?
1: Yeah. So the way I kind of look at it is we, When I was thinking about the trade deadline at the beginning of the season, knowing that it was basically going to be coming uh, maybe three dozen games into the season, uh, which was which felt kind of nuts. But in a 60 game season, that's the way it's going to work. And teams are making decisions based on how they're predicting the final 20 games of the year to go is insane. But that's the predicament we find ourselves in now. And with the expanded postseason, it felt like more teams were going to be buyers, right? Like there's going to be eight teams from each side making the playoffs. That means more teams should be looking to acquire talent. Fewer teams will be trying to give it away. That could make for a very complicated trade deadline. If there's more buyers and fewer sellers, maybe the sellers are, are going to be making bonanza. But it actually kind of sounds like this trade deadline is going to be fairly quiet. Because of what I pointed out there, you know, just a minute ago is that, you don't want to trade away major pieces just for a 20 game stretch. Some of these players that are rentals uh, trades we've seen in the past uh, of guys for, you know, the last two months of the season, at least you were getting maybe 60 games out of them. Uh, This is a third of that. So the prospects we're going to be seeing traded for rentals might not be much at all. It might not even be, uh, you know, prospects we see traded. We've seen some deals here and there for cash considerations or stuff of the like. Um, One other thing to watch is that, Uh, in order to be traded right now, you have to be a member of the 60-man player pool. Now, the cynical way to look at it is there have been a lot of prospects who have been added to player pools. I think about the Mets in particular. Um, They've added a lot of their top prospects in the recent weeks to the player pool after those guys weren't in Brooklyn at the beginning of the season. You could look at that and say, okay, by adding them to the player pool, they're eligible to be traded right now. Um, But we could also just see players to be named. You know, If you throw in a player to be named, they don't have to be part of the player pool. They, you could name that player months from now and say like, Oh, now we've decided who it's going to be uh, after all these COVID related rules are no longer in place. So that's just something to watch for. Um, it might be difficult to evaluate some of these trades for months to come. It's going to take years in some cases anyways, because when you trade for prospects, you're not know, you're not going to know what that player is going to turn into for years down the line, but especially now it might take even more uh, time to determine exactly who got the best fit in, uh, in that trade. But looking at who right now is should be considering moves, three teams I'm kind of looking at uh, right now because if the season were to end, especially in the National League, uh, the Dodgers, the Cubs, the Padres, the Braves, the Cardinals, the Giants, Marlins, and Rockies would be the eight playoff teams. Now, according to Fangraphs, the Brewers, Mets, and Phillies, who I didn't mention there, all have greater than 49% chance of making the playoffs, but they're not in if the season ended today. So they do need some help to get there. They have the talent base as it is, but they need a little bit more to catch up. All three of those teams are below 500. Um, there's a decent chance that we're going to see some below 500 teams make the playoffs anyways, but those three teams will need some help if they're going you know, to show those odds to look good and overcome the Giants, Marlins, and Rockies, all of which uh, have better records right now, but Worse percentages. Uh, the Brewers have actually been mentioned as a potential seller. It sounds like Josh Hader, uh, who I mentioned before earlier in the show, is not necessarily on the block, but teams are trying to think about you know what would it take to get him right now. Especially if the Brewers continue to fall off. Right now they're 13 and 15. Let's say they go to 13 and 18. Uh, would they be sellers? And would Hader be available? Uh, he has three more years of arbitration after this year. So it would have to take a really bonkers trade. Now that's fun from our side because it's probably going to take a top 100 prospect, maybe multiple big prospects uh, to move somebody like Hader. And those are the trades that, that get me excited. Um, but I think the more likely one to happen is looking at the Cleveland Indians who have been in the news, obviously tons in the last couple of weeks because of Mike Clevenger and Zach Klesak. Um, Those guys were sent to the alternate training site. Uh, after breaking COVID protocols and then, you know, going behind the team's back to do so. And in some cases lying straight to their faces about why they broke those protocols and how they broke those protocols. Um, Clevenger is going to be back with the team. Police Act still isn't. Clevenger has two more years of arbitration. Police Act's up not until 2025 after the 2025 season. So plenty of years of control for, the, for him. Now, him doing this and his video that he posted afterwards certainly hurts his stock in terms of who they could get back. But the Indians, who are in desperate need of outfield help, could trade one of those guys to get that outfield help to help the club right now. Uh, you know They are in the playoffs as things stand, but they could cons- considerably help their playoff chances uh, of making a deeper run if they were trade somebody like that. Because we saw Tristan McKenzie make his debut last week and absolutely shove, and the Indians, are, as Shane Bieber is showing, are as good as anybody at developing pitching right now. Getting McKenzie in there, a healthy McKenzie, uh, into that rotation might be as good a replacement of Plezak or Clevenger as anybody's going to get anyways. Uh, so that'll be interesting to follow. The Braves uh, need starting pitching help. They added Ian Anderson. He is making his debut as we speak against the Yankees, uh, but they still need starting pitching help. I would like to see them dip more into – giving Tucker Davidson a shot, giving Kyle Muller a shot, but maybe they look elsewhere. They've been tied to even like Lance Lynn, um, who has a year and a half until he has free agency. Um, he's been one of the best pitchers the last two years. Now, would they be willing to give up somebody like a Drew Waters to make that happen? Christian Pache has already been up in the majors for them. Um, but do they you know, go to the next level of prospect down? Do they go to a Waters? Do they go to a Muller or Davidson uh, to bring in a major league ready arm like uh, Lance Lynn, will have to keep an eye on that. Or do they go to the rental route? Like Taiwan Walker uh, of the Seattle Mariners right now is having a little bit of a resurgent season. And we know Jerry Depoto is a big time trader and would love to get something of value, anything of value for Taiwan Walker before he becomes a free agent this off season. He'll probably be moves probably for a minor prospect, but we'll see how things go there. Um, but one of the other things I'm really hoping we get to see is kind of a prospect challenge trade. Like we saw last year, between the Arizona Diamondbacks and the Miami Marlins, uh, the Marlins acquired jazz Chisholm. They traded away Zach Allen, who was by far the PCL's best pitcher. He had just made his major league debut because he was still a rookie. All years of team control were still in front of him. Uh, it felt like a the D back saying like, listen, we need starting pitching. We're going to get a guy who's going to be here a long time, but we're going to give up a premium prospect to do it. So the Marlins who had a, you know, a later window of contention. We're like, okay, we'll kick the can down the road a little bit and take jazz Chisholm who probably has a higher ceiling than gallon, or at least it seems like he did at the time. Zach Allen's done really well in the majors this year. Uh, you know, acquiring a, a bigger talent, but one who's going to take a little while longer. I love trades like that. I would love to see something like that happen this year. Um, you know, thinking about last week, JP Morosi brought up Brandon Marsh of the Los Angeles angels it's going to be really difficult for Marsh to find playing time right now in that Angels outfield uh, because for all their problems, outfield is not really an issue. Even if you look at Joe Adele and his struggles, you assume he's going to come around at some point. Brandon Marsh probably could play in the majors right now for some team. Could he help the Indians? Okay, now let's talk about a prospect for prospect trade. That would be really interesting. Um, those are the types of things we're going to have to look out for this year. It's going to be a unique trade deadline for many reasons. Uh, I don't foresee a blockbuster happening, barring you know a Josh Hader getting traded or the Red Sox. God forbid, are, are have been thrown around with the idea of what if some team comes and, and blows their socks off for Xander Bogart, something like that. I don't see see that happening, but um, you know the trade deadline. The, the crazier things have happened. We could have another year in which uh, we think nothing happened, and then Zach, Zach Renke all of a sudden gets traded, uh, something of of that caliber the trade deadline is always a time for uh, surprises. So right now it's setting up for a kind of a quiet one, just rentals and not many prospects coming back. But I would love to see one of those prospect for prospect trades, especially in a year in which so many guys are making their their debuts. And so many teams are making space for younger talents because they have nowhere else to play. So that's what I'll be watching for uh, on August 31st.
0: It is coming up uh, just five days away, four days away by the time you hear this. And uh, one of the guys who will not be on the move but has already been on the move once this year is Matthew Libertor, a third-ranked prospect in the St. Louis Cardinals organization, a former first-round selection of the Tampa Bay Rays, who joins us from the alternate training site for the Cards in Springfield, Missouri, home of the Double uh, A Springfield affiliate, Matthew Libertor, next. <music>
2: This past year has shown us that without your health, you have nothing. If you're not well, you can't work, look after yourself, or take care of your family. You can't enjoy the life you've worked so hard to build. That's why you need to prioritize taking care of your long-term health today, before it goes from good to bad to worse. So invest in your long-term health with Forward. Forward is intelligent medicine with a personal touch. Their doctors are dedicated to catching top killers like cancer and heart disease early before it's too late, and catching them early could save you tens of thousands of dollars in the long run. Everyone's health history is different, which is why Forward doctors personalize a health plan with you, based on your genetics, lifestyle, and biometrics to achieve long-term results and ensure nothing gets missed. It's time to invest in a doctor that's invested in you. Go to GoForward.com today to protect your future health. That's GoForward.com, GoForward.com.
0: Joining us this this week from a a minor league destination, uh, not holding minor league baseball games per se this year, but from Springfield, Missouri, today, the third-ranked prospect in the St. Louis Cardinals organization, Matthew Liebertor joins the show. Matthew, what's going on? How are you?
3: I'm doing well. How are you guys?
0: We're good, man. Thank you so much for joining us. You are currently uh, at the home of the AA Springfield Cardinals, one of the uh, the guys lucky enough to be in an alternate training site group and uh, at a minor league ballpark this year, but it is still the weirdest of years. And so even though you're in a AA ballpark, it's not a AA season. Uh, the last few weeks, I mean, it's uh, the end of um august now it was really back at the beginning of july when things kind of got started rolling you get sent to uh to the alternate training site i would imagine it's by now somewhat routine in the least routine year ever what have the the last six weeks or so been like for you getting this experience
3: um it's certainly been weird as you said um i think that's probably the best word to describe it all um but honestly i've just enjoyed being able to get out on a field again being outside with my teammates and you know, putting on the same uniform again and feeling like we're sort of a team, even though we're not really playing games and getting to compete a little bit in live BPS or scrimmage situations, all that kind of stuff. Um, it's just nice to get back into some of the routines and all that that you see during a regular season again.
0: This whole 2020 for everybody obviously has been so bizarre um, for you, it's probably been even more so because uh, back in January, the start of the calendar year, uh, you're a member of one organization. Then you get traded from the Tampa Bay Rays to the St. Louis Cardinals. You get into spring training, get invited to camp, uh, and then everything shuts down. You really now are you know over eight months into an organization, and it, there hasn't been any normalcy. What was it like getting into the the card system and kind of getting those first few weeks of spring training under your belt, and then all of a sudden you're you're back on your own again? What's it been like? having to go through this wall, a member of a, a new system?
3: Um, it's certainly been a, a whirlwind of emotions, um, especially with the trade and then all this COVID stuff happening and getting sent home after spring training and not really having an opportunity to go out and play as a Cardinal yet, per se. Um, but the Cardinals have made it extremely easy for me to make the transition. Um, from the second I walked into the clubhouse, it's uh, spring training, you know, I got greeted by Yachty and Wayne, were the first two guys to come up to me and say hello and introduce themselves, um, followed by Jack and a bunch of the other guys. And it made me feel really at home, made me feel welcome, made me feel like I was already one of the guys. Um, and it made it that much easier to just go out on the field and take care of what I needed to because I wasn't thinking about, oh, does this guy like me or does this guy like me or do they accept me yet? It just seemed like from day one it was like, all right, you're with us now, we're going to roll. Um, and so that made it really easy. And then coming here down to uh, Springfield and at the alternate training site, um, getting to meet a lot of new guys and see a lot of new faces that I didn't get to see in spring training. And, you know, same thing. I have to commend the Cardinals from the top down there. First class organization. And they've done a really good job of making me feel comfortable and like I'm a part of the team, even though I haven't really had the opportunity to play as a Cardinal yet.
1: Yeah. And what what about the off period? You know, the the time of of quarantine and everybody being at home. And I know every organization was a little bit different in the way they were keeping in contact or in contact with their pitchers and their players and keeping guys on certain types of routines, checking in with them. Um, What was it like dealing with just new player development people, new coaches during that period when you were trying to ingratiate ingratiate yourself uh, to the Cardinals system?
3: Um, like I said before, from the top down, they've been great. So, you know, the strength department with the Cardinals has been awesome with me so far. Um, during the quarantine, it wasn't like here, you're doing this, even though we don't know anything about you. Um, I feel like they really (laughs) took the time to get to know me in spring training and know what I like and what my body needs. Um, and really uh, accompany those needs and work with me to figure out the best plan for me individually. So same thing during the downtime, it was really easy to pick up the phone and say, Hey, um, this is what I've been thinking. This is what I've been doing. What do you guys think? Kind of bounce ideas off of them and brainstorm a little bit. Um, and they've just been very helpful with anything that I've asked of them.
1: And during those brainstorming sessions and, and those discussions and even your workouts, both spring and now, um, how are you developing as, as a pitcher right now? Because you probably would have started this year at, at high a Palm beach, maybe even been in Springfield at this point at the very end of the 2020 season. Uh, and we could have mm-hmm. followed your development that way. Obviously fans don't get to do that. So how do you feel like you've developed just as a pitcher in these last couple of months?
3: Um, I feel like even though we haven't been able to go out and play games and as as terrible as that is, and as much as I miss the feeling of competing, I think the downtime gave me um, a good period, especially after experiencing league baseball for the first time in my life in person and getting to compete against guys that play at that level every day and be in the locker room with those guys and then have those four months or so of absolutely nothing. It gave me a lot of time to think and it gave me a lot of time to invest in what I was doing and really fine tune my craft. Um, And I feel like now being at the alternate training site, I'm getting to see some of those things kind of come to fruition that I've worked on and see What plays well and what doesn't play well, and kind of, you know, with the pitching stuff, like with the strength stuff, you know, bounce ideas off of them, brainstorm a little bit, and figure out what is uh, really working for me. But just a lot of fine tuning, small adjustments here and there to kind of polish off whatever.
0: Matthew, so much of this has been kind of learning on the fly for not just players, but I think organizations as well in terms of, you know, what the alternate training site uh, routines would look like and being able to maybe play some games. There's been discussion of adding uh, more players to these groups, so games would be more possible, especially ahead of the trade deadline, all that. How, from the time when you first got to Springfield to now, um, you know, what's an average day look like for you now and how has it evolved over the, the course of the last few weeks to make sure that you're, you know, able to do everything that you want to and need, to get done on a daily basis
3: um so they have us stand in a hotel right by the field that's within walking distance that's nice not everybody needs a car we don't need to all cram into one car and get everybody to the field um and they have the whole eighth and ninth floor completely blocked off for cardinals players only so we don't get a lot of foot traffic not any random people coming up to our doors and spreading germs or anything like that um and then depending on the day um we usually start around three thirty or so report time and then uh, go out and have a stretch, play catch, do our PFPs, get our conditioning in, um, kind of like a normal day leading up to a game. Um, we'll go through BP then, so pitchers will shag and finish their conditioning. And then once shagging's over, the starting pitcher will go get ready, and then we have a live BP with a semi-full field or so. Um, but give those guys a little bit of that competitive environment and uh, let guys get their working.
0: This is a question that I think – maybe comes from a place in 2020 where we're just looking at everything through such a different lens. Um, but for you guys who are there right now, what, what's the, the camaraderie like? I mean, you're, you're sharing an experience that we hope uh, will never have to repeat again after this year, and you're all in uh, you know, somewhat of a, a difficult spot. I mean, you're away from family, and even though you are back doing the thing that you love, that comes with its own set of challenges. For, for you guys as a group, what, what have the relationships been like spending so much time together, getting a chance to be in this together, and, and how do you think that uh, continues going forward from here?
3: Um, to kind of answer your question in a roundabout way, looking at the bigger picture, um, you know, i I'm a firm believer in you find what you choose to look for. Um, so given this whole situation, you know, you can choose to look at all the negative things that have come from it. And believe me, there, there, there's a fair share of negative things that have come from the events that have taken place this year. However, you know, you can't, that can't determine how you feel internally. And you can choose to look at the positive side of things and pull from the positive side of things. So um, with that in mind, speaking about the camaraderie and the friendships of the people that we have here, um, I think everybody views it that way. And we realize that it's probably not the most ideal situation that we have. And that having a regular season would obviously be better in terms of development and the game and everything like that. But I think everyone has just kind of put their nose to the grindstone and said we're going to choose to look for the good things about this and pull out the positives and make the most out of every opportunity we've been given. Um, And so I think that we've developed a lot since we've been here, and we've got a lot of um, really instrumental and invaluable work in since we've been here.
1: And and speaking of opportunity, how do you view this time at the alternate site? Because this is – some have called it – the year of the prospect, at least the major leagues, because so many guys are getting called up just now uh, since we started this conversation, sticking in the division, Jose Garcia is jumping from essentially class a advanced all the way to the majors. Um, You're somebody who pitched at class a all last year, but uh, you are now part of the player pool, meaning you are eligible to be called up at some point. How do you view this time there? Is it just focused on development or is there a small part of you that thinks, Hey, I'm here. I'm technically one transaction away from the show.
3: I mean, I think that's always in the back of your mind, especially being called to be part of the 60-man player pool that the team can pull from. Um, It's obviously a possibility. Um, But I choose not to focus on that because that's um, one of the uncontrollables, essentially. You know, I I can't make that decision for me or for the team. That's something that they have to do. Um, So my responsibility is to go out and make sure that I'm the best version of myself every day and that I can get one day better every single day. Um, so, I look at it as an opportunity to come and develop and be in front of the team and get to know the guys better and um, develop my relationships with the people here. And also, an opportunity to go out and compete and show my stuff and work on getting better. And if getting called up happens, then that's sort of like a good byproduct of what I've been doing. But I wouldn't say that that's my main focus.
1: Gotcha. And, and speaking to um, developing as a pitcher, this is obviously a unique situation in many ways, but you are facing basically your teammates, guys who you could be playing with and in front of for years to come, but also the same group of guys over and over and over again. This isn't like playing Jupiter or Florida or Daytona or what have you. Um, this is You're facing the same hitters a lot here. What What is the nature of that aspect of this and, and trying to – Uh, you know, adjust to hitters you're seeing a lot and have them adjust back to you when playing that game of chess against your own teammates.
3: Um, I love it. That's one of my favorite parts of the game is the mental side of the game. Um, So, you know, in a regular season in the big leagues, you're going to face teams multiple times. They have the scouting reports. They know who you are, what you throw, how your stuff moves, all that kind of stuff. Um, You know, they have all of that uh, prior to the game. They know everything about you. Um, So, Similarly here, when we get to face guys over and over and over and over again, they get to build up a scouting report on stuff that we have and what we've been throwing and the tendencies that we have. And then the hitters get to come out and kind of use those against us. Um, I think it's really good for our development because we kind of get to play that chess game that you would get within a regular 162 season game in only a short amount of time. But because we're facing those guys over and over and over again, And so I think it helps a lot because it's not like you can just get guys out based off of pure stuff anymore. You have to learn how to pitch. You have to learn how to pick up tendencies and their swings and their approach and things that they can and can't do or things that they're good and not good at. Um, So, you know, that's my favorite part of the game. And I love that side of it.
1: And in terms of stuff, what do you feel like is the biggest adjustment you've had to make? Because you're a top 100 prospect for a reason. People really like your fastball. Your curveball is a plus pitch. Changeup has a chance to be above average, and you throw a lot of it for strikes. Um, but going up against these guys and playing that chess match, what are some of the biggest adjustments you've had to make in terms of your arsenal so far the last couple of weeks?
3: Um, honestly, I'd say the biggest challenge so far – so. Um, just to back it up and give you a little bit of a backstory we've been using a uh, trackman zone at our training site here Um, so we don't have a human umpire there is no human element to calling balls and strikes anymore so it gives us a very um, true perspective of what the strike zone actually is Um, and so the biggest adjustment for me has been dealing with what i thought i was throwing for strikes are not so much strikes as i thought they were interesting um so Adjusting to the zone, I would say, has been the biggest difference for me.
0: Matthew, let's talk about uh, the the trade to the Cardinals organization. You get that news in January, and obviously, it's going to uh, you know shift the whole track of your career. But it also puts you on a, a cool track in a a friendship sense in that you are reunited with a guy Mm -hmm. that you've known for a long time played with uh with usa baseball with the the u18 national team a couple years ago winning a a world cup championship in nolan gorman um that whole situation you get traded you know a year and a half into your pro career it's going to be a little rattling no matter what but how cool is it that you get to go to an organization where one of your best friends is and now you guys get a chance to go through something like this together
3: Um, it's certainly been one of my favorite parts of the move that was made in my opinion. Um, not only because it made it much easier for me to transition where he could kind of introduce me to people and say, Hey, I know this guy, you know, me. So it was a little bit easier to make a connection. Um, but, um, I don't think he gets enough credit for how intelligent he is and how cerebral he can be. Um, and so he's, it's been awesome to be able to, you know, sit down at night after we get done at the field. Um, six feet apart obviously Um, and (laughs) talk about stuff that we saw that day and how my stuff looked or how his swing looked and bounce ideas off of each other and brainstorm and talk about baseball or life or whatever and we can just have really intelligent deep conversations about what's going on I feel like that aspect has helped me grow as much as a person and a player as anything else has
0: that team you got a chance to, to play on, the UAT national team, we look at the amount of guys from that roster who now are uh, at alternate sites or kind of already it feels like in some ways knocking on the door of the big leagues, but you were on that team. Obviously, Nolan Gorman's on that team. Tristan Cassis was just added to Boston's uh, alternate-type player pool. Jared Kelnick, there's been so much talk about if this was a, a regular season, maybe he'd be uh, in a perfect scenario, knocking on the door of the big leagues in 2020. Um, we had just uh, accomplished conversation recently with Ryan Weathers on the podcast. The amount of talent that was on that team, I think there were a dozen or more first-rounders from that team. What was that group like? You guys go and and win a championship uh, and dominated that event, and especially on the pitching side, just ridiculous. What was that whole experience like for you being around a group that talented?
3: When I think back on it and I take into consideration everything that you said, I think the best way I can describe it is like a dream. Like, sometimes I feel like I have to pinch myself and say, like, did we really assemble a team that had that many guys on it that had the Ethan Hankins and the Jared Kellanix and Kumar even, who's probably going to be a first-round pick out of Vandy next year? You know, our team was unbelievable from first pitcher of the game to the last pitcher of the game, from first hitter of the game to the last hitter of the game. It was like you could come up or down four with two outs in the bottom of the ninth. You put anybody up to bat, and I feel like we could still win that game right now. Um, and that was the most incredible experience that I think I've ever had, minus maybe coming to Big League camp this year. Um, the feeling of being able to represent your country and do what you love and do what you're best at, um, I don't know many feelings that can match that sort of patriotism feeling.
0: The, uh, the amazing thing, too, you talk about uh, that opportunity – to come back in a situation if you were perhaps down by four runs. I just want to point out to everybody that the U.S. played nine games in that tournament and allowed five total runs, <laughs> three of them earned. <laughs> so the likelihood that you were going to be down by four at any point was pretty small, but uh, pretty impressive group, to say the least, Sam.
3: <laughs> Absolutely.
1: Yeah, and, and whether it's like Nolan or somebody else on that team, I, I saw this interesting quote the other day about Blake Snell saying he faces Aaron Judge and he can't look him in the face. Because Aaron Judge might smirk at him and try to get him off his game. If you face anybody from that team, or Nolan now, like in alternate uh, you know, training site stuff, what do you do when you're going up against somebody you've, you've played with, that you're good friends with, that you've to a medal with? How do you approach something like that?
3: I love competing like that. Um, and for me, it's like when we step between the lines, you know, we're – we're not enemies, but we're not teammates at that moment. You know, if Nolan gets in the box against me, I'm trying to get him out. I don't want him to have the satisfaction that he got a hit off me or that he even put a ball in play off me or same as if I faced any of those other guys. So, you know, I love competing and I feel like I'm also good at separating in between the lines and outside of the lines. Um, So regardless of what happens in between the lines, you know, we step back outside the lines and we're back to being friends again. And, you know, I've gotten the opportunity to face Nolan a few times now that we've been at this alternate site and We've had some good at bats and he smoked a few balls off of me and I've got his I've got him a few times. Um, But at the end of the day, we go back to the hotel, sit down at night and talk about what we saw and how we can get better and how each of us can improve based off of what we learned that day. So um, I think it's a pretty cool experience to be able to compete and be friends with those kind of people.
1: All right, Matthew. We'll end on this one. Um, we talked about it a lot today in terms of the trade, but one reason we brought you on right now is because the trade deadline is next week. Um, as somebody who has gone through this before, and you know, maybe touching on some of the experiences you talked about before, what's advice you would give for a young player who gets traded, who all all of a sudden has to, you know, get used to a new organization, switch sides like that, like that quickly? Um, what advice would you give to somebody in that situation?
3: Um. I want to first say that you know I loved playing for the Rays organization, and they were also a first-class organization. But my one piece of advice, because coming out of the trade, coming from somewhere where you felt like you were wanted, not to say that I was never not wanted, but obviously you know, when a trade is made, another team wants you more. And I was scared of going to another team and having to go back to being the small fish in the big pond and working my way up and meeting new people and establishing myself again and all that kind of stuff and my advice would be change isn't always bad change can mean growth change can mean that you're going to experience things that you wouldn't have otherwise that can make you a better person or a better player. Um, so don't be afraid of moving teams or having a new home or a new place, uh, you know, to call home, be open to it, be open to learning, be open to growing, be open to experiencing new things and widening your horizons. Um, I think that change is a good thing for people. And I think that it can elevate someone's career as much as it could hurt a career. Like I said before, it's what you choose to look for. So if you go into it with a negative attitude and you expect bad things to happen, it's exactly what you'll find. But if you come into it with open eyes and open ears and you're ready to learn and ready to grow and develop and experience new things, then that's exactly what you're going to get. And you can create whatever kind of experience you want to have. So my biggest advice is don't, is don't be scared of change.
0: That is pretty great advice and I think uh, not just in a, a baseball context but in a life context a lot of people can take a lot from that and uh, it's going to be fun to you know finally uh, get all of this back out on real mounds and real fields and all that in 2021 and beyond Matthew Labertor the third ranked prospect in the St. Louis Cardinals organization baseball's number 61 overall Matthew big thanks for, for joining us man and enjoy the rest of the time uh, in Springfield and headed toward the fall and uh, we'll keep following you wherever you are
3: Thank you I really enjoyed it guys
0: A lot of good stuff to get to with Benjamin Hill this week, who joins the show. Hi, Ben.
4: Hello, Tyler, and hello, Sam. I am. Uh, I'm wearing flip flops right now, which is. Um, nice. I don't really wear them inside very much, but it's it's one of those uh those real cheap pair of flip flops. You know the ones you buy like a dollar store. They 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 always basically look the same. But you know sometimes when I'm going to check the mail, I don't want to put my uh, shoes on, so I just slip on these real cheap flip flops, and then I just find myself wearing them. And I find myself recording podcasts on them, such as uh, this one right now. So that's what's new with me. (laughs) Is that the vibe
1: you're going for this week, Ben? Flip-flop, flip-flop, flip-flop
4: vibe. Yeah. Oh, man. And when I walk down and up my – I live on the third floor, so, you know, I'm in great shape and always, of course, take the stairs. And um, (laughs) those, these things just – I mean, I know why they call them flip-flops now. They just flip-flop, smack, smack, smack. I hear them echoing up and down the stairwell, and I'm a kind of self-conscious person. And I start to feel self-conscious just going up and down the staircases in my uh, flip-flops. Sometimes if it's late at night, I'm like, oh, it's too late for me to go down the stairs wearing flip-flops. I'll wake up the neighbors.
1: Yeah, it is. Benjamin Hill in his redacted year on earth, (laughs) now discovering why they're called flip-flops,
4: just made my day. (laughs) I get it now. I understand. Yeah, well, you know, it took me a while to figure it out. I'm like, man, these things are like flip-flop, flip-flop. Oh. I didn't get it. it. (laughs)
0: Oh man, let's dive right in to the, uh, the, the conversation of uh, a few different topics with Ben this week. One story that is up on the site right now that you can go check out at MILB.com, continuing along uh, as we profile some of the biggest fans across minor league baseball. A guy who we probably could have included in virtually every single story uh, about the biggest fans of minor league baseball. He's one of my favorite dudes on Twitter. Uh, I have never met him, but I've gotten to know him over quite some time uh, through social media, and he was in the MLB fan cave. Uh, several years ago, uh, maybe the biggest hat collector of them all. He is also a tattoo collector. And uh, Ben got a chance to uh, talk with Benjamin Christensen, who you may know on Twitter as Shaka Brody. He does some stuff with Hat Club. He does a lot of stuff about his tattoos. Uh, Several years ago, I feel like it was somewhat a story. Oh, this wacky guy has all of the major league mascots tattooed on his torso. He's now in the process, though, of getting every minor league team logo tattooed on his legs, which was something I was not at all aware of. And it's a great story that's up on the site right now. Ben, tell us through, uh, take us through the, the story of Benjamin Christensen and talking with him about this.
4: Yeah, well, Tyler, you set it up uh, really well. And, and, and that is what the story is about. Um, one of my favorite stories uh, that I've written here in this, uh, you know, 2020 non-season just in terms of uh, being able to talk to Benjamin, who goes by Benjamin, Uh, you know, and and I I vacillate between Ben and Benjamin, but he's all Benjamin all the time. Uh, But just talking to him and just talking to someone who loves baseball, minor league baseball, and who goes to great lengths to show it. Um, Yeah, in 2011, he, uh, Benjamin, who was a Oakland A's fan, pretty much since birth, um, but, you know, he went on to live in Stockton and saw Ports games. He was a, a Bat boy for the Bakersfield Blaze later on. Uh, he went to college at University of Oregon and therefore went to Eugene Emeralds games. So, you know, he's always had the minor leagues, you know, kind of interwoven in his life as well as the major leagues and Oakland A's fandom. And uh, Tyler, as you mentioned, 2011, when he was living in Eugene, uh, he forged a relationship with a Eugene-based uh, tattoo artist, Felix the Tat Epperson, and he got these uh, major league on each rib cage, you know, all 30 major league mascots, this sprawling eccentric collage. Um, But then cut a couple more years later, uh, he's still living in Eugene and uh, he takes part in a Eugene Emeralds bats and tats um, promotion. And um, he gets the Eugene Emeralds new logo tattooed on his leg, on his uh, right leg, I believe. And that sets, you know, starts him off on a minor league tattoo odyssey where One leg is for teams east of the Mississippi minor league teams. The other leg is for teams west of the Mississippi. And he is in the process, and it's going to – it's taken years, and it's going to take many more years of getting literally every team tattooed on his leg, you know, starting up, you know, starting at the bottom, literally the bottom of his feet, um, or at least his ankles, uh, with uh, rookie level and Class A and working his way up his legs – you know to triple a and then eventually having the minors blend into the pre-existing uh, major league tattoos on his torso so it's this crazy in-depth tattoo project uh he's got a ways to go he's roughly in like class a short season class a right now he's got more done on the uh, west of the mississippi leg than the east of the mississippi um and, and it's not just a team logo and that's it you know he'll combine a franchise's different identities or logos or locations Um, so it's a real kind of a project for him to be creative with it and um, you know kind of figure out how he wants to represent each team like he has a tattoo there's the grand junction rockies right now but he has that team represented by each of their two prior locations the uh, butte copper kings and the casper ghosts he has a tattoo of the casper ghost with a butte copper king crown on its head so it's that kind of thing um, representing these teams in really creative ways and uh, it was fun to talk to him and If this kind of uh, extreme fandom and eccentric uh, minor league baseball behavior is something you're into, check out that story. I enjoyed writing it. Uh, Benjamin Christensen on his uh, sprawling minor league baseball tattoo project.
0: One of my favorite elements of it, he makes a uh, a comment. You asked him, essentially, are you going to have enough real estate? And he said, uh, as the tattoos start to get higher and higher up his legs, it's going to get a little bit dicey. Um, but it seems like he's got a plan to get everything to fit. (laughs) Yeah, I think so. You know, I don't think he was going super extreme as we're
4: talking about moving up the body, but you know, I've never gotten a tattoo, so I can't really speak to it, but even just thinking about getting a tattoo way up on the upper thighs just sounds painful to even think about. And uh, he's going to have to take advantage of pretty much every available inch to get, you know, something approximating 116 teams up his leg and, yeah, AAA is going to be pretty dicey.
1: Well, that that kind of leads to what I was going to ask is like, is there a plan already in place here? I mean, you talk about one side is for east of the Mississippi, one side is for the west of the Mississippi, but um, does he know exactly where everything's going to go, does, or is this just piecemeal as as it goes along? Because I imagine this is an expensive process. Yeah,
4: it is. It is piecemeal. He he, kind of you know, researches it on his own time, saves up money on his own time. He said, you know, this covid reality is obviously awful in a lot of ways but he said hey at least it allows me to uh you know research my tattoos because you know as i was saying he 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 picks kind of idiosyncratic ways to represent these teams so it requires a lot of research and creativity but it's just kind of a catch-as-catch-can thing he said basically if he's going to be and he lives in you know oakland now so he has to drive like 540 miles to eugene to get these tattoos because he's keeping his relationship Uh, with the same guy who's done his baseball tattoos going back a decade now. So he says, basically, you know, it'll be maybe eight at a time, you know, four on one leg on one day and four on the other leg the next day uh, over a 48 hour period. And then that'll be it for however many months. Um, So it's real piecemeal. He just goes up, uh, you know, with a vision just for each round of tattoos and then researches the next one. So who knows how long it'll take or what it'll look like when it's done. But I think it's an interesting thing, even if you're not a tattoo person, but just to think about, wow, what if I could create this sprawling minor league baseball artwork, just of all the teams and all the ways they would intertwine and flow into each other based on uh, the names of the teams, the, the areas that they used to be located. It's kind of a fun thing to think about uh, in that regard and how creative you could be in representing that visually.
0: I, uh, I will say that between his hats and his tattoos, I am very envious of Benjamin Christensen's disposable income because he's got a lot of cool stuff that he's able to collect. Uh, His hat stuff, by the way, for the million people who, whenever the hat conversation comes up and I'm involved, ask, how do you hang those on your wall? Benjamin Christensen was the inspiration behind that. He had a video that weirdly enough, Uh, was up on YouTube where he described how uh, he hangs his hats, which is the same method that I use. That was somehow, and he told me this uh, several months ago, his video was taken down on some kind of copyright claim, despite the fact that it's literally just like him sitting uh, in a room, recording it on his phone. But there is a copy of the video that somebody else somehow has who he did not know they uploaded it. And so it is still on YouTube. If you want to search how to display your new era caps for anybody who's been interested in, and uh, seeing Benjamin Christensen stuff for seeing my pictures, but uh, there's a lot of good photos in Benjamin Hill's story uh, of the, uh, the minor league tattoos as well as the major league stuff. And uh, some of Benjamin Christensen's hats as well. Um, he's also got a tattooed bow tie, which he's perfected the, uh, the miming of of grabbing the bow tie that's in the main header photo. And I enjoy that very much. Um, Ben, let's continue along. The uh, Rochester Red Wings are in a unique circumstance this season uh, or lack of minor league season. We talked obviously about the Buffalo Bisons and how they are playing host to major league baseball this summer uh, at Salem field for Rochester, a Minnesota twins affiliate. They are also playing host to baseball of a major league variety this year. Uh, It is not Major League ball, but it is alternate squad, alternate site ball uh, for the Toronto Blue Jays, which is kind of interesting as a Twins affiliate to be hosting another team's players. But Rochester has an interesting method of trying to get their fans involved. Uh, It's not exactly the same as get a cardboard cutout and you'll be on TV for this Major League game, but it is cardboard cutout centric. Tell us about this.
4: Yeah, you know, uh, obviously, especially with Major League Baseball right now, we're all become very accustomed to cardboard fan cutouts. So I just wanted to cover this on the minor league level. Um, you know, we're so deep into the weirdness of 2020 now that this all makes sense. Like, oh, right, Rochester, a A Twins affiliate is, at, is hosting the taxi squad of the Toronto Blue Jays, but no one's allowed in. So they're now putting cardboard cutouts of their fans. Um, But, you know, I was interested in how this worked on the minor league level where, you know, the minor league baseball, it's a smaller, you know, operation by its nature. And uh, yeah, these um, games aren't on TV, so you don't really have that element. But, you know, the team wanted to populate their ballpark while baseball was being played with their fans. And they also wanted to, you know, do something creative and, you know, again, get some revenue and, uh, you know, for them sell tickets for 2021. So it's a creative idea that for $60, you can get your own customized fan cutout to be put into Rochester's frontier field, as well as uh, four tickets to a game in 2021. So it's a way for them to start selling seats for 2021, create interest in what will hopefully be a quote unquote normal season, while also getting a cutout into the ballpark now that will be witnessing a Toronto Blue Jays taxi squad games. And also once the uh, the taxi squad season is over and the Toronto Blue Jays organization leaves frontier field, and leaves Rochester, then fans can go to the ballpark and pick up their cutout and have it as their own souvenir. So I just kind of wrote about how the team uh, went about, you know, devising and executing this uh, particular offer. Um, You know, some of the creative cutouts they have, you know, the team did some of their own franchise icons, you know, like Milo the bat dog and uh, the beer vendor, uh, Conehead, who's also a very well known vendor in Buffalo as well. Um, They said, I don't think it's arrived yet, but they have a cutout of uh, Getty Lee from Rush, Uh, who's going to be installed at the ballpark because uh, he's a big Toronto Blue Jays fan so presumably he'd want to watch the taxi squad games in Rochester so Getty Lee's going to have his own cutout and then the fans you know had a lot of creative you know cutouts as well Um, you know there's there's one guy dressed like uh, you know Wild Thing Ricky Wild Thing Vaughn from Major League there's a a bunch of pets there's some Twitter avatars uh, so just kind of focusing on this uh, bizarre mix of fans in the seats at Rochester, how the team pulled it off. And uh, it's uh, now associated as a major league phenomenon, these cardboard cutouts, but it's happening in the minor leagues a little bit as well. Rochester, uh, Lehigh Valley, which is hosting the Phillies taxi squad. I think they have some uh, cutouts. Lansing with their uh, in-house collegiate circuit that they created. I think they, the Lugnuts, they had some uh, cardboard cutouts. So we're seeing them around the landscape a little bit. And it's just, uh, I think when we look back on 2020, hopefully it will be a total anomaly. But I think we will look back and remember very much so when it comes to baseball, uh, cardboard cutouts. So, yeah,
0: I just wanted to cover that a little bit. Some cool stuff that is up on the site right now at milb.com. Benjamin Hill, you can find on Twitter at Ben's biz. And uh, thanks, man. We'll do it again next week.
4: Yeah, sounds good. And uh, I'll probably still be wearing these flip flops because, uh, you know, it's during the day and I don't care how much noise they make.
0: Still summer for a little while. Rock them as long as you can. That's right. Flip flop summer. Wrapping up this week's episode of the show, before we head out of here, Sam has this week's nationwide prospect fun facts.
1: Yeah. So uh, this one, we've kind of gone on debuts recently for prospect fun facts. And um, so I'll give you one here real quick. And this is going to, I like doing these trivia questions for Tyler. So of the players to make their 2020 debuts. And as a, as we sit here right now, it is 144, and I'm including Ian Anderson because he's debuting as we speak. Uh, but there have been 144 players to make their debuts this year. The top three oldest um, are either from Japan or South Korea, and Shun Yamaguchi, Shogo Akiyama, and Quang Hyun Kim. But the oldest player from the Western Hemisphere to make his debut this year, can you guess who that is, Tyler?
0: Uh, I feel like... This is not just ranked prospects, correct? This is anybody.
1: This is anybody. Any and I, Alvarez. Uh, darn you. I was gonna give you a hint and yes. you got it anyway. Uh, just watch
0: yeah. the real sports on him, so figure that out to be it. That, and, you you know, I've kept an eye on him wrote a wrote a story about Eddie a couple of years ago. But if you're not familiar, Eddie Alvarez, the former uh, silver medal winning speed skater for the United States in the Sochi Olympics, who made his major league debut uh, a couple of weeks ago now with the Miami Marlins, but was signed by the Chicago White Sox. He is one hell of a story. And I think 30. I want to say
1: it's exactly so he's 30 years old in the 188 days when he made his debut. Um, So he was the oldest stateside, Western Hemisphere, whatever you want to call it, uh, player to debut this year. Um, Those other guys, Yamaguchi is 33, Akiyama is 32, Kim is 32. Um, Right after Eddie Alvarez is Dakota Backus, uh, the White Wall Ninja. Uh, who we know also had a very long road through the uh, Oakland A's and Washington National System. The White
0: Wall Ninja, I feel like you have to at least give a little explanation because anybody who hears that nickname is going to be like, what if they don't know the story already?
1: I guess we haven't explained that on on Twitter. And it's too bad Ben's no longer with us. Um, No longer with us. That sounded really bad. (laughs) On the show. We're no
0: longer recording with Ben.
1: (laughs) God bless you, Ben. Uh, No, Dakota Packers, Ben, a couple of years ago, went to Beloit. Um, to, uh, on one of his many sojourns and many travels and just found this really interesting story of a relief pitcher for the Beloit Snappers who would wear all white, you know, they were playing at home and then would kind of like wrap his face and just blend into the wall in the outfield. He would be in fair territory, just hanging out on the wall and because umpires aren't looking for players against the wall for every innings, he would just hang out there and he called himself the white wall ninja. Uh, it was one of the most fun stories Ben has written uh, from his travels, I think at least involving a player, so that was a long time ago, uh, obviously that him being at Class A back has worked his way up through the A s and, and national systems and, and got called up uh, made his debut on August fourteenth so uh, obviously what we do here is follow guy's career careers see them get their career started. And then we hand them off to the majors and, and see where they go from there. And that's the entire goal, but to see a long time minor leaguer uh, who has a cool backstory, who obviously has fun with the game, uh, get his call. Like that was definitely even more special in terms of uh, how we cover things here at MLB.com. So uh, in a year, like we said earlier, it's kind of the year of the prospect and the year that teams are turning to minor leaguers more than ever. Uh, even the old guys get, are getting their chance, which which is great to see.
0: Pretty cool stuff, and uh, that'll do it for this week's episode of the show. Before the show, big thanks to Matthew Laborde, Benjamin Hill, as well, and for Sam Dykstra. I'm Tyler Mah. We'll talk to you next week.